Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we're trying not to get too attached to mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 63 which begins with the feral child dropping in and it ends with max shooing the feral child away this is one of those rough minutes oh it's so sad but we'll get to that yeah (laughs) i don't want to jump right into that because oh it's heartbreaking but first we get a little instance of max his arm up underneath the black on black he is reinstalling the booby trap the thing that blows up the car if someone messes with his gas tanks now we saw back in minutes 12 and 13 where he needs to be in order to interact with this device and he's pretty much crouched in the same position as he was before when you had the gyro captain holding a crossbow up to his neck and everything like that however when they cut underneath the car to where the booby trap is installed and he flicks the switch on it doesn't look to me like it's in the same place that it was before i'm looking at the undercarriage of the car where the struts are for the rear suspension and i'm sure it's the sort of thing that you can move around and reinstall in different places but it just looks odd where it is based on the exposure that we had to it earlier in the minute because he doesn't put it up next to the knife like it was before yeah i suspect that that is a product of their shooting location. Mm -hmm. They're in a much tighter space now in this workshop area, meaning the camera and also Mel all tight space, as opposed to back in the riverbed where they had all the space in the world. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not sure if in the movie universe it's supposed to be in a slightly different place, in a less carefully placed location, or if it's a production thing. Yeah, I think the important thing for us as viewers is that we're supposed to see that he puts the booby trap back and he turns it on. Because we were shown very specifically when he got pulled into the compound that, oh, they disarmed it and they have it over here. And so before he leaves, we need to see that he put it back and he turns it back on and that we're not supposed to care about the location. No. (laughs) But we do anyway. Right. (laughs) At least we I do care. because we care. We have because we have a lot of time to care about little things. Exactly. I got to say, before we move off the subject of the booby trap, I'm a little surprised that they gave it back to him. Yeah. Because that's a valuable piece of tech. Yes. They could send somebody. Oh, they could send somebody small and quiet and stealthy out to attach it to Lord Humongous's car so that when he starts his car the next time, it blows up. Like a car bomb. Yes. I wonder if that's how the booby trap works. I feel like the booby trap itself, and we're going to see it in action sometime next week. I'm not sure if it itself is an explosive device or if it attaches to the gas tanks in some way. Mm. And so it doesn't blow itself itself up it blows the tanks up i would hazard a guess that it itself is an explosive but only large enough to pierce the gas tanks and therefore be accelerated by the gasoline that now has access to yeah i base that solely upon how quickly max was able to reinstall 
uninstall it. Right. And actually thinking back to when it was uninstalled by the mechanic, that was also pretty quick. So I'm guessing it's just uh, like maybe a couple of bolts Mm -hmm. attach it to the frame in a place where like close to the gas line where it might be vulnerable. Where a small explosion would ignite the gasoline. Yeah. And then the rest of it is just. And then, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I don't don't think we ever get a full explanation of exactly how it works, but we'll have to pay attention. When we see it work. Next week. What, you know, what's the sequence of events that we can decipher? Exactly. Meanwhile, back in the garage and not on a tangent, we see the black on black sitting in the middle of the garage and suddenly a child's bindle falls from the ceiling and the feral child drops down right after it. And he is full-on tactical sneak crouch mode. If this was Fallout, he would be completely undetected because he's crouching like that. Right. Outside video game world, that was a remarkably quiet drop down. Yeah. I mean, you know how loud the roof of a car can be. And yeah, that was remarkable. He probably has practice quietly dropping down from places and sneaking around. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice anything too remarkable about the Feral Child's Bindle. Other than the fact that the metal boomerang is attached to the outside of the bindle. I'm not quite sure what's inside of it. Probably his padded chainmail glove. Mm-hmm. Who knows what else, though? Yeah. I would hazard a guess that his accumulated cache of trinkets mm-hmm. is probably inside there. He might have gotten some food, too. Probably. Maybe like a water skin. Because, I mean, this is everything that he is deemed important enough to bring with him when he leaves with Max. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. Yeah. I did notice that the bindle was made up of animal skin. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to think that he went out, killed animals, skinned them, probably cooked and ate the meat. Or maybe not even cooked, he is feral, and properly prepared the hides for his clothing and his sack and all that kind of stuff. It could also be that other people in the compound did that for him. Well, I did think of that, but if other people in the compound were doing things for him, why wouldn't he be dressed more like them? Well, he's probably dressed in animal skins because that's the only material that they really had available to make new things out of. I think the important thing is that they're manufacturing manufacturing new goods. I feel like a lot of the clothing that these people are wearing are old clothes that they've come with and that none of them really have new items to wear. And so the idea of having fabric or material to make clothing out of, you use what you can find. And there are more than enough rabbits. So him wearing rabbit pelts and whatnot makes sense because he's a growing boy. Mm -hmm. And so if there are people in the compound making clothes for him, they would use those materials that they have on hand. Okay. They don't have manufactured cloth. They have animal skins. So clothing, a bindle, those sort of things. He brings them the rabbit. They do the rest. Okay. That's my idea, at least. All right. I can go with that. So because this isn't a video game, Max is able to hear the feral child drop down. And as he stands to go investigate the situation, we start to hear the music box playing. And it is playing at a very reasonable tempo. It is playing in the correct direction. Mm-hmm. I love that it's playing in the correct tempo. I think that says something about human nature that he understands what the correct tempo is just based on what he finds pleasing to his own ears. He heard it played mm-hmm. once and then proceeded to play it incorrectly at the time, not knowing that that was wrong. He was so delighted when he played it himself, he even was, though it was incorrect. He just was so happy to have it. Yes. So when he 
took it away and practiced and figured it out, that's the tempo that he came up with Mm -hmm. because that's what was pleasing to his ears. And that that seems to be human nature. Yeah. I think it's also him mimicking what he heard from Max when Max was turning the music box. It sounds very similar. And so when Max opens that car door and sees the feral child and the feral child looks up at Max, I feel like the feral child is saying without words because he doesn't have dialogue, you know, I have been able to learn and master this skill that you showed me and now I can do it too. And in a nonverbal way, that is incredibly valuable information. Mm -hmm. Especially if you think in a very basic feral way where being able to learn new skills quickly and being able to emulate an elder, those are very important survival skills. Yep. I would like to think that the feral child has snuck into the black on black and is sitting in the door seat or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Doing this kind of as an audition to Max. Be like, hey, I want to go with you and to show you that I am adaptable and easy to teach, here is me doing this skill. Little does he know that his inability to talk almost completely contradicts that sentiment. Yeah. Like, look, I'm easy to teach. I learned how to make this music box go, but oh, wait, I still haven't learned how to talk. (laughs) So I think those kind of cancel each other out a little. A little bit. I think speech is a complicated thing because it requires comprehension, which I think the feral child has comprehension. I would argue that speech does not require comprehension. Because you've got to understand what you're hearing. And then as you repeat those noise, you have to have... It's not how babies learn to talk. Babies learn to talk by just repeating like... I. Okay, so babies begin to talk by repeating words that they hear. Yes, and I'm not sure how much comprehension is actually there. Fairchild has much more comprehension than a typical child's age learning to talk. So let's say a baby learns to say mama and dada, and then through repetition of those words, they're able to attribute, okay, mama produces mother, dada brings over father, and then through association of words with the outside world, language develops. Yes, which is the step that he missed because he didn't have consistent sources of association. Yeah, I mean, he's surrounded by people who can talk. Yes, which is, I've always kind of wondered, he is surrounded by people who can talk. He's familiar with them to a point where he's comfortable with them. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering why speech hasn't rubbed off on him. Yeah. I think before now, it might be that there's no one in the compound that the feral child wants to emulate. Ooh. Because none of them are like him. And Max is like him. Yeah. Someone that's wild, yes. more or less. Yeah. And so the feral child may not be able to speak at this point, but you get the sense that the feral child would learn to speak if he spent a lot of time with Max. And we know that he learns to speak later on in life. He's narrating this whole story to us. Yes. Beginning and end. You know what I mean? But you have to wonder, you know, who taught him to speak? Who brought him from that feral state into being able to speak eloquently? I have head cannons. Okay. This has nothing, like, this is not hinted at in the movie at all. But in my head, the gyro captain and Arky adopted him as a son. Oh, there you go. Yes. And that's how he learned to talk and became the leader. Okay, so maybe there is a little hint to this. I think the gyro captain became the leader after Papagallo. I think that's hinted at in the text. Solely because he's driving the bus. (laughs) 
at the end of the movie. That's really <laughs> the only place that they get that from. Is that he's driving the bus. And Arky is sitting right there next to him looking. Oh, we'll talk about this when we get to it. But the look that she gives him. Mm-hmm. She's falling in love with him. It's so sweet. I love it. But we'll talk about that when we get. Yeah. The ending narration does say that the gyro captain became the new leader in Papagallo's absence. Oh, okay. Okay. So that is in the text. Okay. So if the gyro captain and Arky adopted him and they follow like tribal type rules the son would become the next leader. Right. So that's, I think that's kind of where it comes from in my okay. head. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And Arky is, she's nurturing. She's yeah. She's very nurturing. That's really mostly what we get about her character. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems fitting that she would take care of him. Yeah. Max, on the other hand, is not the nurturing type because no. the next shot we get is Max looking down at the feral child and he says, get out, kid. And it just doesn't feel like his heart is in it. No. He feels tired from yeah. the interaction he just did, had with Papa Gallo. Yeah, I think that interaction really took a lot out of him. He's emotionally drained. Mm-hmm. This is the last thing that he wants to deal with at this moment. He was just confronted about losing his family and now there is literally a surrogate stand-in for the son that he lost right in front of him wanting to become part of his life. And he's like, no, I am alone. I am alone in this world and all he can really do is just eke out, get out. And going back to that idea of the feral child's comprehension versus non-comprehension, feral child just sits there with that same old look on his face, that kind of three-quarter grin, playing that music box. Either he's not listening or he's ignoring. Well... I think right now he's being an eight-year-old. Yeah. There there are times, we've talked about it before, where he's not being a feral child. He's being an eight-year-old. Yeah. And now <laughs> he's being an eight-year-old. And also, Max isn't really being very clear. No. He's kind of mumbling. Yeah. So I think most people would probably not understand what he was asking for and probably just sit there. Yeah. I also interpreted it as a way of the feral child saying, no way, I'm coming with you. Yeah. I've made this decision already. There's nothing you can say to dissuade me. So Max says again, go on, get out of here. And he reaches down towards the feral child and he snatches the music box out of the feral child's hand and just throws it away. And the expression on the feral child's face initially is the grin. But when Max pulls the music box away, his expression completely changes to one of, I would say confusion is the main thing. Not understanding why Max would take away this item when the feral child has become so good at using it. Like, isn't this what Max meant when he gave him the music box? Like, what else could it mean? Right. We've talked about the feral child's comprehension level. And yes, he has a decent comprehension level, but it's not that of an eight-year-old. Mm-mm. He doesn't understand that Max doesn't want him around. He especially doesn't understand, based on what he overheard, that Max has a painful history with family and therefore doesn't want another family. Yeah. He certainly doesn't comprehend that. No. So, Feral Child, I, I think he's very matter-of-fact about getting up and retrieving the music box. Yeah. It's like, oh okay, the music box is over there now. I want it. I'm going to go get it. Yeah. The feral child follows the music box with his eyes as Max picks it up and throws it. And then before the feral child makes a move, he takes his bindle, which has been sitting in his lap, and he puts it inside the interceptor. He doesn't drop it on the ground. He doesn't sling it somewhere. He puts it inside the car because he's going to go with Max. And then he hops over the door with a little type of thing, runs over, picks up the music box and immediately starts going back towards the car and then we see max reach in 
pick up the bindle and toss it at the feral child and the bindle lands in the dirt between Max and the feral child and feral child picks up the bindle and he's just looking at Max wondering why he would throw all of his stuff like that and and Max goes go on get out scat get out and he's he like hissing at him and waving towards him and doing all of those things that the gyro captain was doing when the feral child was touching the gyrocopter and the feral kid his face is obscured in shadow but you can tell that this kid is just heartbroken that his hero is rejecting him and telling him to go away and it's rough it's 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 hard for me to watch yeah the the way that it's shot conveys so much emotion to us how we would feel in that situation I think we feel more than the feral child does. Feral child, I think, is mostly confused about what's happening and why it's happening. I think we're the ones who are heartbroken. Yeah. And the way it's shot, you get a lot of silhouette of Mm -hmm. the feral child. I think it serves as a reminder that this is just a child. Yeah, he doesn't have the emotional maturity to understand the implications here. Like, he doesn't understand that Max doesn't want to replace Sprague in his life. Max doesn't want to have to worry about another person in his life. Mm -hmm. All the feral child knows is that he looks up to Max as a role model, as someone that he wants to emulate. He wants to grow up to be Max. He wants to turn Max into his surrogate father and that is not something that Max is willing to do and it's really rough this is gonna sound weird it reminds me of Airbud. I've never seen Airbud. Airbud is the story of a golden retriever who plays basketball there is a point towards the end of the movie where the kid who is friends with the basketball playing golden retriever has to make the dog leave to make the dog run away and not come back because of circumstances. I don't know. It might be basketball related. I saw it when I was a kid. But the one scene of that movie that really stands out to me is that scene of the kid. He's out in a field with the dog and he's like, go on, go away, leave, run off, leave me alone. And it's probably more all encompassing to reference something like Harry and the Hendersons, where they get to the end of the movie and John Lithgow has to tell the Sasquatch to walk away. But I never saw Harry and the Hendersons, so I don't have an emotional attachment to that movie. Mm-hmm. It's just Airbud for some dumb reason. But these scenes where one character is telling another character to go away because they don't care about them, when you know somewhere deep down they actually do care about them. Because I think that Max has a soft spot for kids. That even though he's not a cop, even though he's not a father, even though society has fallen apart, that he still has the basic instinct to protect people. Even as much as he doesn't want to have that. Yes. And that is something we will certainly explore more in Thunderdome. Right. Absolutely. That's a major theme in Thunderdome. I think in this movie, we do hit upon the theme that he does care about people, even though he pretends not to and will proclaim up and down that he does not. At the end of the day, he does things that show different. And then we continue to learn more about him that's specifically about children. Yeah. So I think the way that the undercurrent of how he feels in this situation kind of prepares us for his behavior in the next movie. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Because, I mean, you can tell... As he's shooing the feral child away, he's not happy about it. Like, he, even he thinks he's being a jerk. We all see it. And he sees it too. Yeah, there's a look in his eyes specifically that you can tell that he knows that he's doing something that is going to hurt this kid. Yes. But I would like to say that he is like an airbud doing it for feral child's own good. Mm-hmm. That by breaking his heart and 
making him stay, he's going to save his life, which actually turns out to be true. But Max doesn't know that. Right. Max is rejecting the feral child because emotionally he cannot have him along. He cannot bring the feral child along emotionally. It's just that that's just not the place he's in right now. He's feeling particularly tender at the moment. And so it's it's a selfish reason that he's shooing him off. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can look at it logically one more mouth to feed one more person to worry about i don't think that's all that other stuff but true i think the feral child can pretty much fend for himself (laughs) i don't think max should quote unquote adopt the feral child yeah i think at this point he would not make a good father Mm -mm. he needs to fix himself and it would be good for him to have a companion but not a child no max was very hands-off with sprog yes like they existed in the same space but i don't specifically remember sprog ever being held by max no they were in the same shot once jesse was playing the saxophone right yes but even then he wasn't holding him or actually touching him at all yeah and then of course later in the movie you see him working on the car and sprog is next to the car on the blanket yes so care is implied yeah there might be an instance i think after jesse encounters the acolytes at the ice cream shop and she's driving the van and max gets in the van and then when they stop by the riverbed before she discovers the dismembered hand max i think is holding sprog at that point because he makes a joke about the mean lady making him cry ah that's right that might be the only instance i can think of okay and i mean you think back to max and his interactions with his own father they would go out on walks and it seemed that Max's dad was also very hands-off. Yes. So I don't see Max being particularly nurturing or focused on the feral child's development. Yes. So the fact that Max goes one way and the feral child goes another by the end of the movie, probably best for the feral kid. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm thinking back to when we talked about the love languages. Yeah. And how Max and his father, their relationship kind of told us that his love language is quality time. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what Max is rejecting here. Spending time with the feral child. Yeah. And that being his love language, he cannot show that so devotedly to the feral child. Yeah, he kind of fell into it a little bit during Papagallo's speech, you know, playing the music box for him and then giving it to him and whatnot. But gift giving is not his love language. No. So that didn't really mean that much to him. Probably meant a lot more to the feral child. Yes. The last couple of seconds of this minute the feral child has picked up his bindle and max has just shoot him off and the feral child is starting to walk away from max but he's doing it very slowly and he's walking backwards keeping his eyes on max the entire time and so we wrap up today's minute with just that tiny little face covered in animal skins staring at max with that i wanted to go with you expression that's half obscured in shadows and that's how we wrap for the day sad way to go out yeah yeah but this week is full of goodbyes and different interactions so it's just that kind of week 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 63 of the road warrior we'll see you tomorrow